Hello and welcome to the Enlightened Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Hunt. In the first episode of the Enlightened Podcast, join me and Ellie Smith, our sometimes co-host, for a deep dive into the first two Harry Potter books. Well, we touch on the movies as well, but they're more or less all kind of the same thing. Well, at least that's our opinion. If you have something different, then be sure to let us know. But in the meantime, let's get going. All right. All right. So I'm here with my sometimes co-host, Ellie. Only sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so we just finished our rewatch of Chamber of Secrets, so I figured that we we're going to be talking about at least the first two movies. I'm sure the conversation's going to get into every aspect of Harry Potter, as oh, it yeah. always does. We'll go off on tangents. Um, we're good at that. I'm try- I think the biggest thing that I took out of it by far is how much I love Gilderoy Lockhart. He's such a boob. But in, like, not in a, like, borderline cheesy, but Kenneth Brennan does such a yeah. good job of being... He's- like, He's got that, like, false bravado. It's just not, it's not that. It is, he is an ultimate coward <laughs> by hiding behind the fact that he's, like, you know, this, like, he-man. Yeah. And I love that. Every outfit I that I don't he even wears, know if I would call him a he-man. He's, like, a pretty boy. But that's what he's so trying to get across, is that he's conquered vampires and yeah. werewolves and zombies yeah. and whatever else. And the instant he's confronted with literally anything, he panics and wets himself. Like two 12-year-olds? Exactly. Like, he literally backs down from two 12-year-olds, one of whom has a broken wand. Yeah. Uh, it's He's fantastic. Yeah. And Kenneth Brennan really does play oh, well. He he's a really good written character. Yeah. On top of, uh, like, Kenneth Brennan just does a fantastic Now, Kenneth Brennan brings a... It just brings something to the role. Mm-hmm. And this is something I've said before about the older generations of British actors. So many of them were formally trained on the stage that they have this presence that translates even better on film and TV. That like It's, it's awesome on stage, but he just brings some kind of that, that Shakespearean, like, oh. And I think a lot of the actors in Harry Potter in general... Yeah. do that. Obviously, Richard Harris was a Shakespearean... Yeah. Uh, Maggie Smith was... Uh, her Got her start at the Old Vic with Peter O'Toole and mm-hmm. all of that Obviously generation. Obviously, hand-in-hand with Richard Harris. Exactly. Um, oh, the woman who plays Professor Sprout, I don't know what her actual name is, but she's a, like a Shakespearean actress. Mm-hmm. All like the staff. Um... Oh. Who plays, uh, I know who plays... Alan Rickman did a few Yeah, plays, he's got the voice. He's, I was going to say, he's, but he's famous for Die Hard for a reason. It's yeah. because he's impeccable as one of the greatest villains of great all villain. time as Hans Gruber yeah. and then ten times over as Snape. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think... Who he, is it? Um... The more he gets into the role, the better he gets along yes. as well. Where he's a little overacting at times but that's kind of the everyone was doing that in Harry Potter because it was kind of hokey at first well it's like the first two movies very much have that like kind of geared towards kids yeah but also wanting campy but it's almost that tone 
and it only changes after Chris Columbus leaves. And especially, like mm-hmm. you, we were talking about how the mass of the changes from Chamber of Secrets to Prisoner of Azkaban when Alfonso Cuarón comes on, mm-hmm. and it just immediately takes a really really cool turn. Yeah, I think uh, I a lot of that goes to the books as well. Like yeah, tonally, mm-hmm. the they start first two darker. books are very um, British boarding school stories. Yeah. Whereas um, the third book is kind of when you get into epic fantasy a bit more. Yeah. Um, in like murder mystery thriller. Yeah. Is also definitely a factor, which isn't quite in the first two movies or books. That no. kind of thriller. It's very much feel. like the big bad that needs to be defeated and everything is wrapped up neatly at the end of the bow. Whereas in Prisoner, oh, in the first in the first yes, two, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 and then that changes in Prisoner of Azkaban because Sirius doesn't get a, like. It's not, it's not the big clear. bad is not the big bad. Yeah. So there's that huge twist. Yeah. And then um, the bad guy gets away, so it's a, yeah. it's a yeah, better Yeah, it's the first sweet. one where you don't have that, like, kind of happy... Yeah, we win ending. the House Cup, we win the Quidditch match. Yeah, uh, although they don't win um, they don't win the Quidditch Cup until Harry's third, third year. Yes, yeah. yep, that's true. Um, no, it's the, the House Cup. Uh, yeah. It's, like, the big deal, and it's so funny how J.K. Rowling's writing develops that yeah. she just... Stops caring about the house because no never one it's never a thing after the first and couple it's, of books. It's the same thing. Quidditch doesn't really matter again until like kind of the fifth book, and then in the sixth and book, and then it gets ignored otherwise. I was gonna, yeah, because in the third book, it's all it's like used as a a venue for the Dementors to come and be terrifying and mm-hmm. to show Harry's um, how he has to deal with the Dementors, and it leads into him learning the Patronus charm. I'm sorry, do you actually pronounce Dementors as Dementors? Dementors? Yeah. I guess I, I don't know. Dementors? I don't know. Maybe I've, I don't know. Dementor? 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 I don't know what I've done before. I have never heard it expressed in those terms, so I find it very interesting. Yeah, and apparently I haven't said Dementor before in conversation, so. How do you say bagel? Bagel. Okay, so you don't say bagel. No, because that's wrong. I'm a human. Because yeah. that's wrong. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's all. That's the whole bag over. We just bagel. offended an entire group of people. <laughs> that's okay. I'm super congested, so they're gonna have to deal with that anyway. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, the third one is definitely used as kind of a, a staging ground for Harry to. Deal they don't with have his it at all in the fourth in the fourth book because of the Triwizard Tournament. Yes. Which, the fifth one, it's used mm-hmm. as like a punishment when Harry gets kicked off the team by Umbridge. Yeah, it's just a leverage for how much yeah. he hates Umbridge. And then the sixth one is the whole thing with Ron trying to get past his feelings of inadequacy. Yeah, and developing more the the Hermione Ron relationship yeah. is basically what it's used there, and as well as a punishment for when he um, tries to kill Malfoy. In some, I was gonna say he didn't like. He didn't know what this in his defense. He was looking for a good curse to throw at Malfoy. In his defense, he had no idea what Septimsempra did. Which is really stupid. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because you're reading your potions book and you're like, oh, the Half Blood Prince, they seem like a good guy. I have no idea who they are. Literally writes for enemies underneath it. It's like, yeah. Yeah. You know, humans talk like that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, but, what else? Um, what else in Sorcerer's Stone? I was gonna say, going back to the Ron thing, we were talking about how Ron's character has so much potential in the first two. I would argue the first three. He yeah. doesn't become a, uh, useless until the fourth book. And when she turns him into kind of the the, the the jealous troll. Yeah, and there's elements of that in the third one where him and Hermione are arguing all the time. Yeah, but um. 
he still literally says, like, it, you know, if you want to kill Harry, you have to go through me. And right. it's like, that's an awesome Ron moment. That's right. really cool. And the Scabbers storyline is great. Um, but within the first three, and Rupert Grint is also fantastic as Ron. He's a way better actor than Daniel Radcliffe mm-hmm. in the beginning. Yeah. Which that reversed very quickly. Yeah. But, no, I think you're right in that she didn't know what to do with Ron in, like, the middle... In like books four through six, really. Yeah, and even in book seven, he's kind of he's just a dick a yeah. lot of the time, and it's like a poorly written dick, like because there's no purpose. It's just clearly she doesn't know what to do with him, mm-hmm. um, which I I hate because he starts out with such a great character yeah. in the first three, certainly the first two. I yeah. would probably argue for the first three, um, but his interactions with Lockhart. I burst out laughing when he hits Lockhart in the head with a rock. Yeah. Like, it is so good. Just like, oh, you're just useless. And the, what's McCullough, the, his little asides every time are perfect with the, you know, heart of a lion in this one. Mm-hmm. But it, like, uh, I think that uh, as much as Harry Potter uh, will always have my heart, uh, it is very much a flawed masterpiece. Yeah. There are a lot of areas that are up for contention that she should, if she had just tweaked things a little bit, yeah. they would have been a, ta- a thousand well, times Well, it's better. the kind of thing where you can look at other fantasy worlds and you can see that the authors had an overarching plan. Mm-hmm. And it's why we get so pissed off at George R. R. Martin because he's got no idea what to do with the last two books, which is why we've been waiting for Winds of Winter for like 15 years. Yep. But there are so many plot holes major and minor in Harry Potter and it's almost I feel she didn't have an overarching outline of like she knew where she wanted the story to go but she didn't know how to wrap up all of the loose ends and she just chose not to wrap up some of them. I will be in defense of her I think that she did basically an excellent first draft and you've heard me say this about um Deathly Hollows. I don't love Deathly Hollows because the first half, if not the first three quarters it's of the book, camping trip. has not just the camping trip, um, Gringotts is yeah. terrible. Everything that has to do with Bill's Cottage is terrible. Grimold mm-hmm. Place is not good. Getting into the ministry is not great. No, I saw a thing on, um, I think it was, you, you may have sent it to me um, on Instagram, one of the reels or one of the BuzzFeed articles of bill being secret keeper mm-hmm. for the cottage yeah They're like oh well then why couldn't lily and james be secret keeper for their fidelius charm and mm-hmm. then it's just like uh yeah it's i and i'm not gonna falter for that because she has invented this world but i think that she had so much pressure she had yes. so much money thrown at her um and she she didn't created, have the room to i was gonna create. say she had um a phenomenon phenomenon like star wars in front of her yeah. and she had seven books to write opposed to three movies right um they had eight movies that they had to do and she was responsible for i was gonna say it was um, and i think she just kind of pumped it out to get it out and be done with it well it's the same thing with um george martin where george rr martin Mm -hmm. where she wasn't done with the series before they started making the movies Mm -hmm. and so then she's trying to balance both trying to create the movies and be Mm -hmm. a like a creative director of that Mm -hmm while also trying to finish the series of books and tie everything up, but now also having all this expectation on her for how it's going to end. And that's why I think she certainly rushed 
the la uh, Deathly Hollows, but there are aspects of other books that I think that she rushed as well because yeah. there are points that she wants to hit, so she just kind of writes the easiest way out. Yeah. And I think that Deathly Hollows is a wonderful first draft. Mm -hmm. uh, like the story of the three brothers, the Elder Wand, That's and the Deathly cool. Hollows themselves is absolutely brilliant. The Horcruxes are great. Well, it's all the stuff that she's come out with after the fact too it's like all the stuff that's been put on Pottermore a lot of it's not good some of it is some of it's some I of accept it's cool. some of it some of it I reject some of it is like try, is like retconning mm -hmm. it's trying to fill holes that she either didn't notice or didn't have the opportunity to fill it's like trying to expand on the world now that she's got the Fantastic Beasts franchise which um the Fantastic Beasts franchise I will be the first to say uh it is awful mm -hmm. and i will freely admit it's intimate inadmissible in this i podcast. liked the first movie the first movie i did was, not like the second uh the first movie was okay i could not make it through the second movie it no it, it should have been a standalone it very much could have just been oh fantastic piece of where to find them cool uh i don't i don't think any of the characters are well developed enough that uh you can really care it's it's so sad to watch these franchises that they just try and squeeze every last nickel out of it, yep. like Star Wars, uh, yep. like Game of Thrones, where they're just like, ah, it's just a blockbuster. You throw enough special effects in there and people watch anything. And there is still Game of the Thrones Hobbit. stuff in Newbury Comics. Yeah. Because no one will buy it. Bingo. And that's what drives me crazy. Well, is... that's what, I, that's what like, especially with Tolkien stuff, the fact that Christopher Tolkien was there to kind of be the guardian the guardian of it for so long i think is why you didn't have that for so long yep apart from the hobbit movies i was gonna say the hobbit movies are very detrimental and those were made during his lifetime they were so but I, towards, uh, towards the end where he you don't start seeing silmarillion stuff until he's now he's he's passed uh, on uh, there's never gonna be silmarillion stuff i don't think that they'll ever be able i, I would say if they do a mini series i would love yeah that. well and that's i think um the the rights that amazon has for tolkien do not include the silmarillion no it's just within the bounds of, yeah it's just like uh, numenor stuff yeah so but, but we've gotten super off from harry potter yeah. eh, we're talking about fantasy. fantasy worlds and stuff like that it all ties back together yeah um i um i don't love Chamber of Secrets. It's not... I would probably... Book or movie? The movie is okay. It's watchable. Yeah. I don't think that it's bad. I think that... Um, I, I Like, I'm definitely okay with it. I just don't love the book. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's just kind of a... It's a repeat of the first one. And I think yeah. the first one was better. I think Sorcerer's Stone was probably a better movie as well as a better storyline. Yeah. But Chamber of Secrets might have been a little bit better movie, but that's more because they know what they're doing now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're, uh, the first one came out in 2001, and you're trying to figure out special effects for this crazy world. Yeah, and with, like, and, child actors. And how seriously and... are we going to take this? And yeah. So I think they... The Chamber of Secrets could probably be an argument for a better movie. Book-wise, though, not a chance. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Sorcerer's Stone is ten times the book. It was just, it was so different. It was so new. That's definitely part of it, but it's, um, uh, it just so many, 
parts of the plot are better. Where uh, Voldemort being uh, Quirrell yeah. is a good twist of events. I don't like the diary story. First of all, Moaning Myrtle ruins uh. a huge chunk of the books for, I mean, and the movie for me because oh, I just Myrtle. hate her so much. I know. I She's know. just annoying. It's just a She serves no purpose other than as a plot device to further the story. Yeah. It's, uh, there are a couple characters that jk rowling invents it's like peeves mm-hmm. me and you will get into it about i peeves. like peeves i do not i think peeves is super annoying i love nearly headless nick and i think she should have made him a bigger character mm-hmm. but do you like nearly headless nick or do you like the john cleese is nearly headless nick uh very simply both okay. i absolutely love john cleese he's yep. one of my absolute heroes of comedy but uh Nearly Headless Nick could have been played by somebody else, and I probably would have liked it as much. Um, but I think John Cleese did a pretty good job. I just wish he was more developed. Yeah. And I don't, I don't like the Headless Hunt or the Death Day Party yeah. storylines either. I think those are stupid and gross. I like. I wish there was more. We never get into why was Nearly Headless Nick executed. Yeah. I think it's in his Pottermore phase because I feel like I read it at one point. Yeah, it's probably on Pottermore somewhere. She's done a lot of like adding on to characters that's when uh, mcgonagall's whole backstory is on i love her backstory it's so tragic i love it yes what is it her husband was... her husband they both worked for the ministry and he was killed in some like horrible accident i thought he got bit by a spider maybe i think he got bit by a spider and died i, I think to... is what the story was. it's something like that yeah um which i like but i would have um i would have really enjoyed and we talked about this before yeah is as kids, we didn't really have a a view of what Dumbledore's sexuality was. We never really we never cared. Yeah, it's like when you're when you're twelve years old reading. I I well, no, I won't say that I, we didn't care. I very much shipped him and McGonagall together. When and I was that's what I did too. I kind of liked the idea of Dumbledore being this old widower. Yeah. And her being this elderly widow, and yep. they kind of you know end up having a thing for each other and get together. I think that would have been a sweet, cute love story. Yep. Um, and we talked about this before. Is that could still work? Dumbledore could just be bi, or he could have experimented with. Grindelwald and then ended up deciding that he was straight or just yep. that he preferred women or whatever works. Yep. But I, I still like the idea of a Dumbledore and McGonagall relationship. I think that would have been really sweet. Um, but yeah, I and we were also talking about how McGonagall might be my favorite female character, yeah. period. She is fantastic. You're making faces as you're reading her Wikipedia page, by they, the way. So, they were married for three years. Um, let me see. Accidental death. Let me see. He definitely got... From a poisonous, venomous tentacula bite. He got bit by a venomous tentacula. Ah, okay. So, I definitely took that as tarantula. <laughs> so, all yeah. right. Yep. Well, yeah, no. And Maggie Smith, impeccable casting. Oh, absolutely flawless um i would say most of the adults i don't think there was one who was miscast for anybody no especially um, in the first two movies uh i think alan rickman we talked yep. about was perfect maggie smith is perfect. wonderful as mcgonagall i love the dursleys yeah, they're... they're Fiona uh, Shaw is the perfect Aunt Petunia. She is a per- I And I cannot imagine Petunia as somebody different. Yeah. I think um, Mr. Dursley, I think I 
in my head, he's younger. Yeah. And I think that's about it. Was, um, is Petunia older than Lily? I don't think it ever says. Yeah. I don't remember. Because if Petunia is, like, a year or two older than Lily, and then Vernon's a couple of years older than Petunia, I could see there being, like, him being in his late 30s, early 40s, but he no, no, no. he's such a big man, too, mm-hmm. that he looks, like, 50 in yeah. the first movie. Yeah. No, I, um... He is fantastic, though. I yes. Will, I will grant... Both of them are fantastic. No Hell, I think, um... No post on Sundays. Yeah, exactly. I think, um... I think Dudley's great, too. Yeah. I think he plays the perfect little asshole. And he definitely, like, overacts in the first one. Right, like, but they all talk. I was gonna say, but... When you're Daniel 11 Rad- and it's your first... Say, Daniel Radcliffe does the same shit. Yeah. Um... Yeah. Uh, I think Gilderoy Lockhart, we talked about, uh... Kenneth Branagh, I mm-hmm. think, is fantastic. Uh, the guy who plays Quirrell, I don't know. The only other thing we've seen him in is um, The Last Kingdom. And he's spectacular. In the yeah, Kingdom. but that's like 20 years later. And that's kind of where... I don't, I don't think he was great as Quirrell, but I also... It's tough. Some of the lines he got weren't brilliant. Yeah. What'd you think of uh, original Voldemort? I remember being terrified of him when I was a kid watching it now as an adult I'm kind of like meh on it mm-hmm. I don't know like Ray Fiennes is just Voldemort in my head he does play I would say an impeccable Voldemort he's Voldemort in my head which is the highest praise that I can mm-hmm. probably give to anybody is, you know, who the character is when I read the books, who do yeah. I see in my head. I feel like, like, Voldemort on the back of Quirrell's head just looked like a wrinkled, old, like, villain. He didn't look like Voldemort to me. No, he doesn't necessarily look like Voldemort, but he, I don't, I don't picture literally Voldemort's face on the back of his head. It's like a version of Voldemort where it's, like, kind of similar. So, I, I thought it was good, mm-hmm. is, is where I'm coming at it from. I liked it. I thought it was kind of different. I think the guy who did the voice, and I'm not sure who... The guy who did the voices was pretty good. But uh, I, this is going to lead us into, since we've pretty much done every other actor, is we're going to get into the biggest debate in Harry Potter movie history, and it's going to be, who's the better Dumbledore? We haven't watched any of Michael Gambon yet, so I can't feel like I can, I don't feel like I can make a an argument yet. We were talking about how Richard Harris seems to be too sedate and too kind of, like, he doesn't have the zaniness that we expect Dumbledore to have, Mm -hmm. but I also feel that Michael Gambon doesn't have the dignity in the character that Richard Harris did. I think Michael Gambon, in my opinion, got better as time went on. Yes. Where I think he was great in Deathly Hallows, and I think he was great in Half-Blood Prince. Yes. That being said, he also got Dumbledore's best scenes. Yeah. So it's a lot easier to right. to give it to Michael Gambon. And uh, I believe the internet heavily favors Richard Harris. Well, which... I think the internet is still so furious with him for the Did You Put Your Name in the Goblet of Fire yeah, fiasco. Yeah. Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Where he, like assaults Harry and shoves him up against a wall. Yeah, that It's like, was, that was very aggressive. That yeah, was a choice. It was very... 
strange. But, um... Now, I... Richard Harris, I will freely admit, I'm biased, is one of my all-time favorite actors. He is brilliant as Cromwell. He's brilliant as Marcus Aurelius. He's great in The Unforgiven. I really, really genuinely love him as an actor. I don't know that he is my version of Dumbledore. I think he... Now, Dreamcast, how do you think Peter O'Toole would have been as Dumbledore? Because I'm, I'm remembering him. What was the... Um, I think it probably would have been a lateral. What was the, the movie that we watched where he was the aging action star, like um, the Robin Hood? Oh, movie? My Favorite Year. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's... Errol Flynn. He's kooky in that. Well, he's playing a drunk, and I still maintain that um, all of Dumbledore's decisions, which a lot of them get retconned, um, could be explained if... Dumbledore had drunk. A, yeah, if he just had a very serious drinking problem the entire time. Uh, when, at the end of Sorcerer's Stone, when Harry's like, oh, I think I think Dumbledore knew that we knew about the Sorcerer's Stone the entire time. Mm-hmm. He just wanted to test us. And I just like the idea of, like, Dumbledore just, like, passed out on his floor. And just like, yeah, that's exactly what I was coming up with. I just want to test Harry. Uh. All of his trips off to the Ministry are just him bar hopping. Yeah, exactly. With Hagrid. With Hagrid, of course. Yeah. Well, that was the uh, in uh, Half Blood Prince when Hagrid and Slughorn get drunk after Aragog's funeral. Exactly. Um, but is would Peter O'Toole make a better Dumbledore? I don't think he would do a better Dumbledore. I think he would. Would be a different Dumbledore? No, I think it would be relatively the same. I yeah. think Peter O'Toole would have been a great Gandalf. Mm. I think Richard Harris would have been a better Gandalf too. The name McKellen. I don't know better than Ian McKellen, but different. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, Ian McKellen is, like... I know. He is. He's my favorite gay grandpa. Yes, but still, um, acting-wise, he does a brilliant job as Gandalf. He is definitely Oscar-worthy, but... Did anyone, did any individuals get Oscars, or... I think, uh, I think he won for Gandalf the White, if I'm not mistaken. I was going to say, because they won a bunch for, like, the movie as a whole... They won 11? Yeah. But I don't remember if that's from the individual or if that's total. Um, yeah, because it's like they got, like, Howard Shore got some for the soundtrack, and I think, like, make, like the Weta Workshop people got some for the makeup and the mm-hmm. prosthetics and everything. And... Yeah. No, I, um, I think Richard Harris would have been great. I think Peter O'Toole would have been great for a lot of those roles, too. It's the same thing with, um, Patrick Stewart would have been Ooh. fabulous, too. Where I think maybe Patrick Stewart might have played a better Dumbledore than them. Just, I don't know. This is about watch, his Professor um, X. That we need to watch be. Next Generation. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. But um, I think he's, um, I think Patrick Stewart might be able to have, be able to balance the the zany genius with the seriousness. The dignity and the, yeah. yeah. All right. Where I think um, Richard Harris was pretty good, and I... One of the other things I would love to, like, make abundantly clear is if Richard Harris was ten years younger, he probably would have knocked this out of the park. He was just, he was too old. I think he was way too old. He he looked like he was dying in Chamber of Secrets. And I think he, it was not a role that he could have actively played for up until, like, you know, all the scenes in Half-Blood Prince. I can't imagine him doing those. No. uh, And... 
Michael Gambon obviously was younger and able to keep up with it. And I think Michael Gambon was pretty good. I think just so many of the scenes that are written for him in Goblet of Fire and Prisoner of Azkaban, and I mean in the like the the movie scripts are just poorly written, yeah, or poorly directed for Dumbledore specifically, which is very odd to me because it seems like a pretty easy character to to nail, yeah. And like you, you are right in that Michael Gambon gets the the zaniness better. I'm like picturing in my head when he's just like like looking around after some fiasco and be like, that was fun. Mm-hmm. But I think that stuff he starts to pick up towards the end. Right, it like in Half like, Blood, Blood Prince when he takes the knitting magazine. I do love knitting patterns. Yeah, I think it might be Order of the Phoenix that he starts to get into the role better. But I remember there's not a ton of him in Order of the Phoenix though because he spends the entire time ignoring Harry until the very end. Yes, I know, but still, I that's I think he um, no, because there was that weird scene because he did a fantastic job with a duel with Voldemort. Yes, that is one of my favorite add-ons that they have ever done in the movies for uh like they obviously changed the scene to make it um you know more spectacular looking instead of having like the statue protect harry and stuff like that i thought that that was awesome and they really kind of drew out the duel and made it a big deal and i like how they did it where they made it dumbledore and voldemort are pretty evenly matched in that yoda and the emperor yeah uh, way which I I think they did a better version than mm-hmm. Revenge of the Sith did with showing that like there is a true balance there yeah. where neither one of them can really outdo the other mm-hmm. so yeah I like um, Chamber of Secrets I did not feel like I needed to actively watch the entire no time. it's like we sat down and we watched Sorcerer's Stone in, like, we like from beginning to end we watched it. It took us, like, a week to get through Chamber of Secrets because we kept stopping it and being like, I don't want to watch this. Well, it's, yeah, it, I don't know. There's nothing, there's no big moment that I need to see. No, it, and you are right in that it is basically Sorcerer's Stone with a different big bad at the end. So it's, there's not a ton. And I don't love the diary and I don't love no. young Tom Riddle. I love Dobby, though. I, 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 I like I like Dobby. He's he's fine. He's a character. He's there. I love Dobby. He's so <laughs> cute. He's, he's so stupid. He's like a uh, Gollum, except you know, a good guy. Simple. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't love Gollum. Gollum is creepy. He's the greatest character in modern fiction. Uh huh. He is. In this TED talk, I will. I. I know. We're gonna do an episode. I know. You might be there, you might not. It's gonna be an episode of just you going on a 45 minute rant about why Gollum is the greatest. Because Gollum is the greatest character in modern fiction. Uh Yes. And it will, and the episode will be titled Gollum the Great. Gollum the Great. Um, Any other notes that you want to add on for your Harry Potter? I'm trying to remember other, like, Big things that happen in uh, Lucius Malfoy's I introduction because you yes you're I love Jason no so I will rephrase it I love the actor I love Jason Isaacs I've loved everything that he's been in he is a fantastic villain uh he is and but he has to play villain That's yes kinda his thing between that he was this and then uh, and the, Patriot, the Patriot which is although he great. he did um he's a, a Scottish 
uh, private detective in a miniseries that I watched on the BBC that he was really good in. That's based on a book series that I liked. There you go. That's, uh, His either... Scottish accent's very, very good, too. <laughs> no, I'm sure you hate I that. I love accents. Uh, he... No, he does a good job of Lucius Malfoy. Oh. Oh, oh no, it was when he... We... What did we forget to talk about? Mr. and Mrs. Weasley. Oh, yeah. This is their introduction. Yes. Or Mrs. Weasley had her introduction. Yeah, but we get Mr. Weasley where it's like, oh, Harry's yeah. sitting at the breakfast table. Oh, Harry Potter. Are you really? Mm-hmm. Merlin's beard. Yes. What is the purpose of a rubber duck? <laughs> I love he, Mr. Weasley. I was going to say, and the actor who plays Mr. Weasley does a wonderful job. I need to watch his other stuff. He was in, um, he's in the, oh my God. Uh, 101 Dalmatians, the live action one. Oh, yeah? Yeah, not the Corella with Emma Stone, but, like, the old um, 101 Dalmatians from, like, the early 2000s. Okay. He plays one of the bad guys. That's Corella's henchman. Interesting. He, um... And then he plays a vicar who investigates murder on BBC shows. Yeah, there you go. Father Brown. Um, no, he, uh, he does it slightly different from the books, where I think he's a little bit more serious at times yeah. in the books than he ever is in the movies. No, he's the comic relief to Mrs. Weasley's gumption. No, because Mrs. Weasley is the comic relief in and of herself. Because we all know (laughs) exactly what that mother is like. You know, Ronald Weasley! How dare you steal that car! Yeah, exactly. Um, No, and that talk about just a perfect couple, perfect family. I love the Weasleys as a whole. I love it. But, uh, and I love seeing it through Harry's eyes too, where it's just the absolute chaos and love and family, and she's like, he's like, oh, yeah, I have none of this. Yeah, <laughs> it's all this ordered perfection that's not really perfect. Yep. It's the worst. And then there's oh, there's the the Professor McGonagall impersonator that I that I would see on TikTok who was mm-hmm. like, why couldn't I have Harry? He'd be the best little Quidditch player ever. I'd be the best Quidditch grandma. Mm-hmm. And he'd have a Scottish accent. <laughs> No, uh... Uh, I'm off TikTok now, but I did enjoy watching her videos. I have to see if she's on Instagram. Yeah, she was very good. Alright, any other final notes? I don't think so. Yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. We will return for our Prisoner Prisoner of Azkaban. That's gonna be a full episode in and of itself. I was gonna say, that'll be a full episode. Because we get to meet Sirius Black and Remus. Yes, who, uh, and, uh... I love David Foulis. Yes, I will say... And Gary Oldman. I will say beforehand that... Um, Prisoner of Azkaban is definitely my favorite um, of the Harry Potter books. It's definitely my favorite movie. We will debate books because you do not like that my favorite book is Order of the Phoenix. Because you're wrong. Uh Uh-huh. And you listened to it and agreed. I guess there was some problematic bits to it, but still, I love the world building, but that's that's for a future episode. Yes, it is. All right. Let's end it there. All right. This has been fun. And we'll be back soon. I'm going to pretend like I haven't re-recorded this ad 15 times. Hi, I'm Ben Hunt. I hate to interrupt your lovely podcast experience with this ad, but I'm going to anyway. Why? Because Anchor needs me to. So I'm really never going to advertise for anything that I don't believe in. And Anchor... I actually believe in. So Anchor is an app or a website that allows me to do everything I need to for the podcast. It allows me to record and edit right from my phone or my computer. It also allows me to distribute my podcasts on every listening platform you can think of, from Spotify 
to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, even Stitcher. So basically, it's a one-stop shop for everything you need in a podcast. And best of all, it's totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening to the Enlightened Podcast. We are brought to you by Anchor, a subdivision of Spotify specifically for podcasting. Not only can we be found on Spotify, we can also be found on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or frankly, anywhere you can find a good podcast. We can also be found on Instagram and Facebook. We're working on getting a Snapchat together. And in the meantime, you can DM us any questions, thoughts, concerns, or just a review. We've gotten more than a couple so far, and they've been overwhelmingly positive, not to brag, but we're pretty happy about that. So if you have any other thoughts or opinions, please feel free to let us know. And in the meantime, like and subscribe for more content.